It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show won't be easy for the University of Georgia. The battle of the backs and will double A react quickly. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So we got the schedule release yesterday for the SEC in 2024. And obviously, as they incorporate now Texas and Oklahoma into the conference and Again, they're going to go divisionless and all these kinds of things that they're going to do seems the way of the future for all these conferences that are going divisionless. But it certainly won't be easy for the University of Georgia as compared to what their 2023 schedule is. So in 2024, the SEC part of their schedule, they've got Auburn, Florida, Mississippi State, and Tennessee at home, and then road games against Kentucky, Old Miss and Texas and Alabama. Now, look, with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC in 2024, you knew that they were going to be some try to try to get some marquee matchups, right? You knew that they were going to try to get Alabama and Texas and Oklahoma and Georgia all somewhere in the mix, right? They were going to put those teams all together somehow, like they were going to figure out a way to get some of those marquee matchups in there. So Georgia going to Texas and to Alabama is certainly not a very easy road schedule. Now, look, Georgia's at the point where they've obviously built the best program in the country, the best team in the country. They have the best coach in the country. So it's not like they're going to shy away from, you know, anybody that's on, that's on their schedule. But the idea of maybe, you know, going undefeated, maybe it's a little bit tougher but again, as the playoff has expanded now, you know, and I, and I said this last night, I had a chance to talk to Bill Bender from the Sporting News. The SEC game is never not going to have two playoff teams in it. Now, I'm sorry, but I mean, it's, it's never, if you're going to take the top two teams in the SEC and the divisions are going to go away, you're never not going to have an SEC title game where both teams, win or lose, aren't playoff teams. I mean, unless you have a catastrophic year for the SEC, that would be the only way. But you're going to see every year for pretty much the rest of your life that the SEC title game is going to have two of the 12 playoff teams in it. And maybe even, you know, at some point, a third team makes its way or a fourth team or whatever makes its way in. So the idea and the luster of what the SEC title game will be moving forward is diminished. I mean, there are times when you could look at the SEC title game as the second or third most important game played in college football behind either a BCS championship or the playoff, the, the two, the 14 playoffs game and the two national semifinal games. The SEC title would have been the next most important game played. 
but it won't be that way anymore. So even if Georgia stubs its toe once, maybe even twice over the course of a year, you know, in Alabama, in Texas, it's not going to be that big of a deal. If they if they if they're eleven and one going into the SEC title game, it ain't going to matter. They're going to be a playoff team. Now, now whether or not they host a home playoff game, that's maybe a different story. But short of that, I mean, they're going to be in the playoffs anyway. But at least that we're getting to see some of these matchups, right? I mean, that's the good thing about all of this is that we're finally going to see some of these marquee matchups. And look, the way the schedule is going to fall anyway, you'll play. So, for instance, Georgia would play Alabama twice over a four-year period in a home-and-home. So we're not going to miss out. We're not, we weren't going to miss out with, with anything, whether they go to nine conference games or not. And I, personally, I like the conference schedule the way that it is. First off, I like divisions. That's one thing is that I like divisions in, in college football. I do think that there is something to not having everybody play everybody in a round robin the way the Big 12 does. I like the idea of divisions and splitting people up. Now, how you align the divisions is maybe a different argument, but I still like the division uh, mindset. Also, too, um, you know, at, at this point, you were going to play everybody in a home and home over a course of four years. So you're going to play Alabama. And and by the way, I know people said, well, Georgia's ducking Alabama. They're not ducking Alabama. It's the way the SEC schedule falls. You know, it it's, it's a crazy quirk in the schedule where, you might play a team in the West once every seven years on their home field. But now you're going to get this to where you're going to play four times, or sorry, twice over a four-year period in a home-and-home. And And the other thing, too, that makes the SEC unique is the idea of, and why I don't necessarily need a ninth or tenth conference game, is that they have those matchup games with the ACC. And I like those Southern rivalry types of games. Clemson in South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Ken, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, or sorry, no, um, uh, uh, Kentucky and Louisville. You know, I like those kinds of cross-pollination games. No other conference has that. No other conference has that kind of regional territorial games that they match up in. And the SEC's got five of those. So I don't want to lose those from an in-state rival for, you know, a lot. I mean, for, you know, Clemson and South Carolina, Georgia Tech, I don't want to lose those rivalry games. Like, in all honesty, if it's Georgia, Georgia Tech, or um, let's say Georgia and Old Miss, I'd rather have Georgia, Georgia Tech. Not not because Georgia is so much better than this, than the other. Again, when Georgia Leary was on campus, that, that matchup was a whole lot different looking. But just because of the in-state rivalry factor and just – having those kinds of cross-pollination games where you're playing somebody in another Power 5 conference. So while it's not going to be easy for Georgia moving forward with games you know, in Texas, in Austin, Texas, in Tuscaloosa coming up in 2024, Georgia doesn't fear anybody at this point. Georgia is the best program in the country. And sorry, Alabama fans. I mean, they, they are the best program in the country. They've won two national titles. They're going to be favored to win a third in a row. And and that hasn't happened since the 1930s, I believe. I think Minnesota was the last program in the 1930s to win three straight national championships. But they're going to be the preseason number one team. And they'll probably be 
you know, preseason number one next year, especially if they win another national title when they're third in a row. There's no reason to think they won't be the preseason number one team next year because they just reload and reload and reload and reload. I like having Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. Um, these were always going to be matchups that you were going to see in the SEC. You know, we, we were going to see the Georgias and the Alabamas and things like that play together because, again, Georgia's, or sorry, uh, Alabama is in Oklahoma in that first year. So Alabama in Oklahoma, Georgia in Austin, Texas, you knew you were going to get those matchups. You knew that they weren't going to not schedule those teams and not take the top teams from the SEC and not match them up with Texas and Oklahoma. So this was always a fait accompli for what was going to happen. But it won't be as easy for Georgia in 2024 as it is this year because this year's schedule is to say the least brutal and again there's no reason why georgia won't be 12 and 0 headed to the sec title game they'll be favored in every game that they play i don't care where it is what it is who it is they're going to be favored in every single game that they play in 2023 even in the sec championship game will the georgia bulldogs stay at number one maybe there's some fatigue with the voters and things like that i don't know but Georgia's the best program in the country. And now in 2024, they'll get a chance to show the world, you know, again, more of how they flex their muscles with trips to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Austin, Texas. Won't be as easy, but it's still going to be a lot of fun in the world of college football. All right, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Listen, FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And when you're a new customer and you head to FanDuel, you can claim your no sweat first bet where you can get as much as 2000 $500 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Now, FanDuel is safe, secure, super easy to use. They allow you to bet on everything from money lines to prop bets to how many homers Aaron Judge is going to hit, everything in between. So as a new customer, head to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and claim your no sweat first bet where if your first bet doesn't win, you can get as much as $2,500 in bonus bets. You heard me right. $2,500 in bonus bets simply by going to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to claim that no sweat first bet for $2,500 if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel's the official sports betting partner of the NBA. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. So the battle of the backs, right? I mean, so Pro Football Focus um, had an article talking about the, here's the headline, the biggest NFL training camp battles at every offensive position. And so they look at basically the biggest competition. So for, for instance, starting with quarterback, Trey Lance versus Brock Purdy versus Sam Darnold, right? That's what they do. They, the, um, uh, the, uh, wide uh, the wide receiver battles, you know, they've, they've got all of them as well, but they go position by position through the NFL. Uh, 
for wide receivers, it's Kadarius Tony versus Sky Moore versus Mark Mark Marquez Valdez Scantling versus Rasheed Rice for the Kansas City Chiefs. Right, so they go through position by position. At the running back position, they have the Atlanta Falcons. Tyler Algier versus Bijan Robinson. Here's what they say. When the Falcons drafted Bijan Robinson number eight overall in the 2023 draft, many assumed he would immediately step in as the lead back and take the lion's share of the work. But perhaps there's a bit of Lee Corso in the, quote, not so fast, my friends, unquote, to be had here. Lest we forget that Algier was the fifth round pick from 2022, rushed for over a thousand yards last season, leaving the team with 210 carries with a healthy, while averaging, I should say, a healthy 4.9 yards per attempt. Though Robinson will likely be the feature back in Atlanta sooner rather than later, Algiers' fight for every inch running style is hard to put on the bench. It's a style that's inspiring. Now, I want to read you the last line of this uh, because they talk about Cordero Patterson and all that kind of stuff. But how Robinson performs in training camp will tell us how much of a committee or lack thereof the rushing attack will be in Atlanta. Okay, so with all due respect to pro football focus, and I and I really like pro football focus, if it, Unless you can give me better metrics than pro football focus, then I will believe in them. I Again, I don't think everything is lockstep gold and just, you know, set in stone and everything. But unless you can give me better metrics, then, then I'll, I'll look at them and I'll follow them. But until then, pro football focus, I think, is, is the best source for that. But the interesting thing is that last line is that, you know, what B. John Robinson does in training camp will decide, you know, if it's more of a committee. Well, guess what? It's going to be a committee of running backs. Now, whether Algier leads the team in rushing attempts, whether B. John Robinson does, isn't going to be any really big deal because they're going to get plenty of carries between the two of them. We talked about this last week about the fact that I definitely think that there's a chance that both of those backs could be thousand yard running backs in this offense. You know, Arthur doesn't Arthur Smith doesn't have a Derrick Henry to just lean on one guy and run it 500 times for him. They've got a two-headed monster and they're going to play Algier and Bijan Robinson a lot. You know, again, if one guy gets 250 carries and another guy gets 210 carries, you know, that's not a big difference between those guys. They're both going to see lots of work there, there's no lacking of you know carries to be had for Tyler Algier or Bijan Robinson now look the other the guy who probably is is going to get phased out a little bit in the running attack is Cordero Patterson oh I definitely think we'll see his carries diminish but his ability to stay in the slot as a wide receiver his receptions could go up and obviously, I don't think Desmond Ritter is going to run it nearly as often as what Marcus Mariota did last year. So those carries have to be dispersed to your running backs. So there's still going to be a run-first, run-heavy team. And, it, and it's interesting where they talk about the idea of, um, you know, Algier fight for every inch. Well, look, he averaged 4.9 yards per attempt. He averaged 3.6 yards per attempt after contact which is an outstanding number. I mean, 3.6 wouldn't be the worst number in the world to average as a running back. He did that after contact. So 4.9 yards per carry is nothing to sneeze at. But there's going to be plenty of carries for both of those guys. And the way we know Arthur Smith works in rookies 
He doesn't just throw his rookies to the wolves and just say, okay, have at it. Whether it's Desmond Ritter, whether it's, you know, Tyler Algier. Tyler Algier only started seven games last year. Whether it's Richie Grant, you know, I mean, guys like that, Arnold Ebicady. Those guys don't just get thrown to the wolves when they're drafted. I don't care where they're drafted, first round, second round, what have you. They just don't get thrown to the wolves right away. Even Kyle Pitts was worked in slowly. You remember Kyle Pitts in his rookie year at times was not in the red zone on some of those offensive sets. So they're going to get plenty of carries between Robinson and Algier. And that's why I think that they can both end up with a thousand yards. If they both can run for somewhere four and a half to five yards per reception or sorry, per carry, then they absolutely can both be thousand yard runners because again, it's not Derrick Henry taking up 400 carries. It could be 200 carries apiece for Tyler Algier and B. John Robinson. And when you factor in Mariota's carries, when you factor in probably the reduced role from um, uh, Cordero Patterson, you know, I don't know how much Caleb Huntley coming off the injury is going to carry the football, but you've got two young guys at running back that could be really productive in this offense. And even if B. John Robinson doesn't run for a thousand yards, you're going to look at his all-purpose yards, running, receiving. You're going to look at that number and be kind of blown away. Here's the thing that I talk about all of this, okay? I don't care what their yards are. I don't care the, the competition, this, any other. Tell me we're an elite red zone team. Tell me we're elite in the red zone, 67% touchdown percentage in the red zone, and I know that everybody's feasting. I know that everybody's at the dinner table, and they're filling up their plate, and they're getting their stomachs full. That's what I care about. I don't worry about, you know, who's, you know, if one guy gets 250 carries, one guy gets 230 carries, that doesn't really matter. What matters is, is that they're a touchdown efficient offense. And with the personnel that they have, they have the ability to be that. And they can run it in at all different places on the field. B. John Robinson's a home run hitting running back. Algiers, a guy who bounces off tacklers. You know, Cordero Patterson can give you a nice mix of the two where you just kind of change it up a little bit in the style and, you know, the the downhill running style that Cordero Patterson has, the kind of no fear running that he has to go along with some of the speed. But the Falcons are in great shape, and I don't really look at this as much of a competition with Robinson and Algier because there's plenty of carries to go around for both of those guys. There'll be plenty of action for both of those guys. That's why I say they have that ability to both run for a thousand yards this year, no matter who starts. Algier ran for a thousand yards last year in only seven starts. He didn't have to start to get his touches and his rushing attempts. So I, I like the idea of having the competition, but I don't really think it's much of a competition when both guys are going to be winners in this offense. All right, as you make Hitting Hard your first listen, uh, make sure that you go into whatever podcast platform that you're listening on and let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. So we like to call them our everydayers. We thank you so much for being a part of our community and certainly continue listening every day, Hitting Hard, Monday through Friday. Let us know that you're an everydayer, as we like to call them, as an everyday listener five days a week into the show. Well, the Braves swept yesterday the Detroit Tigers in their uh, double header that they got rained out the other night and swept the Tigers in a double header. Now they come home to take on the Colorado Rockies, who are another last place team. They have the they have the worst run differential in the National League. 
All right. I mean, they're, they're, I think it was minus 67. That's the worst in the National League. So, again, things line up really well for the Braves to have a big weekend. But there are some concerns, I think, about where this pitching staff is. You know, it was not another good outing for Strider. He got the win because the they the Braves offense mashed it. But five innings, seven hits, five earned runs, couple of strikeouts, three homers given up. Then in the nightcap, it was Dylan Dodd, four innings, six hits, five earned runs. Between the two starting pitchers, they gave up 10 runs and six homers. Now, to put this in perspective, the Tigers had hit the fourth fewest homers going into yesterday in Major League Baseball. I think they'd only hit 54 homers for the entire year. They got one-ninth of that number yesterday. So they'd only hit like 54, but they were the fourth lowest home run hitting team in Major League Baseball. And they were the worst run-scoring offense in Major League Baseball. They had scored the fewest runs of any team in baseball this coming this this season. They found a way to score what um 13 or far sorry 12 runs yesterday, 10 of those off our starting pitching. And it makes me start to wonder about whether or not double A is going to stay ahead of the curve. Remember when we had all of the issues in our outfield a couple years ago, a couple few years ago, and double A well before the all well, I should say well before the um uh trade deadline made a move to go get Jock Peterson. And we were kind of like caught off guard about, oh, okay, Braves, Braves made a move here, and they, they've got Jock in the mix now. And, and he did that early. I think the same thing is going to happen. I, I don't think the Braves are going to wait until the trade deadline happens. I think that this is going to be something earlier because they're starting to get to a point where good for Morton, he had a bounce-back game, but your bullpen blew it. Your starters tried to give away these one of these two games or both these games yesterday, but thankfully it's the Detroit Tigers. Thankfully it's not the LA Dodgers or um, you know the Mets or somebody like that. Thankfully it's the it's the Detroit Tigers, and you can get away with that kind of stuff. But their pitching is starting to let them down, and I think that one of the things you look at is they're going to go out and get a couple of bullpen arms because I do think that there is some walls that are starting to be hit. They've been asked to do a lot, and again, when your starters are not going deep in games, four or five innings, you have to accumulate a lot of outs with a variety of different guys. When you don't have guys that can pitch seven to eight innings and they're not getting through those starts, now it puts a lot of pressure on your bullpen. So I expect that not only is Alex Anthopoulos going to make moves, but I think they're going to come early. I don't think it's going to be a whole lot longer. Look, it's already the middle of June, okay? And this is moving month in the in Major League Baseball. And the Braves have a golden opportunity. You know, they're already 10 and a half games up over the uh, the New York Mets. I think it's eight and a half over the, the Philadelphia Phillies as of right now. So, you know, again, there's a chance to kind of take the Detroit, or sorry, take the, the Mets and Phillies quickly out of this thing. Phillies, uh, sorry, Phillies are eight back of the Braves. Mets are 10 back of the Braves here this morning as we record this. So look, I, I definitely think that it's a situation where you don't wait to get better. And if you have some guys that are hitting a wall, and, and again, from the starting pitcher's perspective, I think you may look at one additional arm, if nothing else, just to solidify one more spot. 
to take pressure off of your bullpen. You know, you don't have to have these bullpen games all the time. And if you've got starters that are only going four to five innings, you're putting a lot of pressure on your bullpen. You're putting excess pressure on your bullpen. And we know Snicker likes to work his guys out of the bullpen. But at some point, that dam starts to break. And hopefully the Braves can build up a big enough lead that some of these games don't become important. You know, hopefully the Braves take care of business against Colorado Rockies, a last place team, and they just pound on them over the weekend. Maybe take three out of four, maybe take all four games, but certainly three out of four. And the Rockies have played well. I mean, they've they've been a little bit hot here lately. They they you know have have played pretty well for for what they are. Um, Rockies did lose last night, but they'd won I think three of their last four games against the Red Sox uh, in a interleague in an interleague series. But I think that the moves for the Atlanta Braves in their bullpen are going to come earlier rather than later. I don't think they're going to sit back and wait for the trade deadline to happen. And and in that 23rd and a half hour, all of a sudden now make a move. I think that you're going to see Alex Anthopoulos get aggressive here because again, they need some help. Not that everybody's pitched bad, but you're starting to see some signs of some hitting some walls. And obviously your starters are not going deep right now. And that's look, that's, that's what happens when you have young guys, the Schusters and the Dodds and guys like that that have to, you know, A.J. Smith-Sharber. That's what happens when you have these young guys that are coming into the big leagues, making their debuts in their first couple handful of starts. You can't expect them to go six and seven innings every time that they go out there. They're going to have their struggles as they try to get adjusted to big league life. And, and again, that's why I think that they're going to be aggressive earlier. So don't be surprised if you see – something in the next couple of weeks happen with the Atlanta Braves as far as upgrading their pitching staff, maybe a starter, probably a couple of bullpen arms, you know, as some of these teams really start to separate themselves as to who's the pretenders and who's the contenders. You know, there are, there are teams that are already kind of out of the mix for any type of playoff spot. And there's some untraditional teams that are now playoff teams, right? The Florida Marlins, the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, some of those teams, the Arizona Diamondbacks, you know, those are not your normal postseason teams, but all of a sudden now they find themselves in a position to be in the postseason. And maybe now they become buyers. So I think the Braves will act early to get ahead of these things, just like the Hawks did in hiring Quinn Snyder. I think the Braves will get ahead of this. Don't be surprised if we see moves starting in the next couple of weeks as we start to head toward July and, and we start to open up the lead. And hopefully, you know, by the time we get to July, we're a double digit lead over both the Phillies and the New York Mets. Braves have played really well. This is a chance this weekend to beat up on another bad team and try to increase their lead over the Phillies and the Mets. All right. Well, thank you so much for making hitting hard with John Chuck. For your first listen, be sure to go into whatever podcast platform that you listen on and let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. So leave us a message in the comment section. Let us know that you're an everyday or would do really appreciate the fact that you listen in five days a week. So let us know you're an everydayer and you listen into the programs on a regular basis. So we thank you for being a part of our ever growing community. You can follow us for free or subscribe for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the Sirius XM app as well. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We'll wrap up the week tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.